My name is Maddie. And I'm Hannah. We are murder mystery bookworms and aspiring amateur sleuths. We are reading Partners in Crime and over the last year and a half we have gone on over 30 book-based adventures. We investigate a real-life case using advice from murder mystery authors and with the help of our feline psychics, Hercula Hastings. We review a book, find the sleuthing tips and hopefully solve the case. Welcome to the Unsolved Case of the Missing Salmon. The book club for amateur sleuths. Hi Maddie! Hi Han, how are you? I'm good. I have got a piece of mystery business that I have been keeping to talk about for this episode. For how long? I can tell you for how long. From the 14th of February, from Valentine's Day this year. Not linked to Valentine's Day in any any way. (laughs) Romantic, mysterious day. Why have you been holding out on me? (laughs) I I have been holding out on you because what I want to talk about is linked to Shakespeare and today's book is called Enter so it's called Enter a Murderer which is uh, the title is a line I think from Macbeth so I thought I'll wait to mention my Shakespeare mystery thing until today. today yeah yeah. That's a good link. So what do we what do we know anything about where it comes from in, in Macbeth? Well, it's when, I'm pretty sure it's when Macbeth pays the murderers to kill his best friend, Banquo. You look so judgmental. <laughs> I am judgmental. I mean, you should be. It's not a good, it's not a good move. I mean, obviously, there's lots of terrible, traumatic <laughs> moments in Macbeth, but... Con- Justice for you know, Banquo. Conniving. Conniving. <laughs> Anywho, oh, is that, is that it? I thought there <laughs> no, was no, more. No, 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 that's this is just pre banter. Oh, this is pre So, the mystery business <laughs> is a recommendation for a TV Ooh. show. Okay, that great. I have briefly mentioned to you before it is Shakespeare and Hathaway. Oh, yeah, okay, go on. Yeah, which is. A BBC daytime TV show <laughs> about private investigators Luella Shakespeare and Frank Hathaway. I had never heard about it, but my dad, former chucklehead slash police officer, stumbled across it and thought I might be interested. I'm not going to lie, my expectations going in were low because I was thinking daytime tv it's on at about like two or three o'clock on a weekday afternoon never heard of it never heard of it (laughs) what's it gonna be like but I watched the first episode it's just brilliant it's (laughs) it's it's quite gentle (laughs) gentle that's a great descriptor (laughs) (laughs) it's set in Stratford-upon-Avon and each episode is a different case that they're investigating and there's all kinds of Shakespeare easter eggs in there if you're a Shakespeare fan and I've made some notes of some of the things that I particularly enjoy about so one of them is that Frank Hathaway can't drive, which I feel is quite a crucial skill as a private investigator. So he, yeah, has, to get a ta- he has to get a taxi everywhere or wait for Luella to pick him up. Oh, don't and, the- 
Oh, so they're in um, Frank's a retired police officer. So he's probably in his <laughs> okay. what, his fifties, and Luella's probably a bit younger, maybe forties. <sighs> and he can't um, drive. Can't drive. That's <laughs> quite is quite important. Yeah, uh, like <laughs> the other thing is they have this sort of oldie woldy music that's like pipes that <laughs> plays as a theme tune and just at random points throughout the show. Brilliant. The relationship between Luella and Frank is just great. So there's a point where Luella is really upset and Frank just gives her a bag of bacon fries in the pub to try and cheer her up. Like frazzles. Um, Yeah, like frazzles. I love it. (laughs) And they have an a sort of an assistant who's their employee in the office called Sebastian, who is an out-of-work actor. So in each episode, he always has to dress up in disguise and go undercover. Always. And he's, he must. Just, he's just <laughs> excellent. So at moments, he'll just be in the office, happens to be in sort of Shakespeare outfit. It's not explained. And he'll just sort of casually go, um, oh, I've just been tuning my loop. Is it meant to be funny? I don't know that it is. It's got to be. It's not taking itself seriously. I love that. But there was, in the care home episode, it was, there was a section that was so funny. I was laughing for ages. They bring together all the care home residents because an incident has taken place. And the care home manager says the following. I actually wrote it down because I thought it was so funny. Someone did something unspeakable on the stair lift. It was not an accident. The individual pieces had been arranged to make a smiley face. (laughs) (laughs) That that is, of all of any like comedy in in a murder mystery, that is so up your street. Really great. And the other thing is, Sebastian, when he's undercover. He wears these glasses that have a little camera in them so that he can just take photographs with his glasses. That's futuristic, isn't it? Yeah. Is that exist? a pair? don't know. That sounds absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I really recommend. And each episode is like loosely, very loosely based on a different Shakespeare play. There's a lot to love about it. That sounds amazing. I'm really excited. I might watch one since this evening. Yeah, the first episode, excellent. Gentle, gentle is what I want. <laughs> so, have you watched? Have you watched all thirty? Yeah. Yes, did you watch I have. all? Of them? <laughs> did you watch all of them with your dad? No, 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 no. He he just got me onto it, and then I was hooked. <laughs> I would watch them again. This week, we were talking about Enter a Murderer by Naomi Marsh. And Hannah, this was your choice, I do believe. Mm -hmm. Would you like to give us a bit of information about why you made this choice? Well, there's one reason why I made this choice. I chose this because I missed the theatre. Oh. And it's set in the Unicorn Theatre so yeah yeah so I just I was having I was having a conversation with my mum about the theatre and like missing the smell of the theatre and 
I've obviously I've watched some plays online and it's not the same so I thought perhaps a mystery to bring the feeling of the theatre the stage as a interim before we can go back oh that is such a good reason I do miss I miss the theatre I, I, I wish I could mm. remember the last thing I saw at the theatre do you know what well, was? I don't know if this would count as the theatre but Rose and I, so special guest Rose and I, did go and see Hilary Mantel talking about <gasps> the mirror and the light at That's the cool. South Bank Centre just before the very first lockdown. Cutting it fine, but you got in there. Mm, got in there. My, I, uh, I think on reflection, my last theatre trip might have been with my Rose <laughs> to see Sit Six, the musical. <laughs> oh, which, which sounded was excellent, amazing. actually. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't got, to, obviously, you can't go to the theatre at the moment, but no. if any listeners are that way inclined, just listen to the soundtrack. The soundtrack oh, well, is phenomenal. Maybe I'll do that, actually. Yeah. It's got one um, song dedicated to each of the wives of Henry, of Henry VIII. VIII. Um, and the concept of the show, if you want to listen to the soundtrack, is that basically at the start, they are um, competing. They're competing for like to be the 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 wife who can claim she had the worst time. <laughs> so we're trying to sort uh... of compete, be like, look, my my bit was the worst. And by the end, they sort of change their tune a tad. And it's just really good fun. The songs are amazing. Good I will fun. do. Yeah. And when the theatres reopen, mm. I do think that you and I have to go and see the Mousetrap by Agatha Christie. I think that I'm just going to cry as soon as I step inside a theatre, just immediately. Will you do all of the theatre, like all of the best theatre things, like glass of wine before the show, uh, ice cream, tub of ice cream at the interval? No, I'm going to get drinks at the interval. Drinks at the interval? I'm just going to get, get the ice cream. cream. I'm going to get a glass of wine in the interval. But you're like, and I've an been to cream. the theatre with you and you love the ice cream. Yeah, I know, but I want I want a drink as well. Both. So okay. yeah, maybe you can. I think you can at some theatres actually have your ice cream there as well, can't you? With your drinks, you can. And if you're smart, you can pre-order for the break. So that no, you that's just what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. We do. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, I don't know if you can pre-order ice cream. I see. I don't think but you can either. This is why we go together because divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. One of us on drinks, yeah. one of us on ice cream. <laughs> okay, well, we've got a plan okay. for the future. Yeah, so in conclusion, so, I missed the theatre. I thought maybe Nio Marsh is Enter a Murderer could give me a sort of stagey drama hit, which I so desperately crave. <laughs> like a sugar high. <laughs> Um, and could you give us a little summary of the of the book? I think you could because you literally just finished it. <laughs> well, I have literally just finished it. It's been a slight rush today. But for the summary, I'm just going to read out the back because I have got a sort of very retro version of this. It's a Fontana <laughs> book one from, I just have a look when it's from. I think it's like a 60s, 70s version of it. Do you want to guess how much it costs to buy? Oh, I do, yeah. Uh, did you get it from the charity shop? Oh, no. I mean, when it was actually published. Oh. So it's got the price of it on the back. On the back. Yeah, so uh, how much do you think? 
So I think probably four pounds max. No, fifty p. Fifty p. I was way off. Yeah, fifty p. <laughs> I was thinking about when I was like a kid and would buy, be like three pound ninety nine for a book, but I was a child yeah, in the nineties, not not the sixties. Yeah, it's, it's much earlier than that. Fifty p for a book. Bog. Let's go back there. Let's go back. Yeah, with all our fifty p coins and just go wild. I would. Anyway, okay, so <laughs> so. <laughs> It's yeah, so it's a it's a retro version, but it's got an excellent style of blurb on the back. So I'm just going to read it. The crime <laughs> was committed on stage at the Unicorn Theatre when an unloaded gun fired a very real bullet. The victim was Arthur Sabonadier an actor clawing his way back to stardom using blackmail instead of talent. The suspects included two unwilling girlfriends and several relieved blackmail victims. The stage was set for one of Roderick Allen's most baffling cases. I'm not sure that I would have given that summary. Oh, okay. Well, no, no, not as in you, but as in if I were, like, from, I wouldn't, the blackmail thing is heavily focused on there, which I wouldn't say I paid loads of attention to, mm, but mm. I guess we'll come on to that. Yeah. And what did you think of the book? I really enjoyed it. I was laughing <laughs> a lot from the very beginning. So the play that that they're staging it's called the rat and the beaver. <laughs> I mean, and joy from the off, isn't it? Joy from the off, and this means that one of the chapters is simply called "Death of the Beaver." <laughs> <laughs> and That's later on, Nigel turns sleuth. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. As I think you're probably going to guess. <laughs> I just, what a treat with the language. I mean, rum, rum was in it all the time. They can get enough of rum. Oh, I wrote down some rum co- quotes because I was so excited about it. Yeah, it was. I couldn't believe it. It came back. Yeah, what were your rum quotes that you captured? Oh, only a few. There, were, there, were, there was rum aplenty. Um, ones that I wrote down were... I've or- got, <laughs> it's a rum life, Nigel. You mean they are rum people? <laughs> They've also got, you're a rum old fish. <laughs> oh, they couldn't get enough. I, I also liked the reference to gust of alcohol. That was pleasing. What, when um, Arthur was too drunk to, was, was drunk? Was drunk on stage. And Maddie, I've always thought of you as a decent old sausage. <laughs> Ah, I could picture you when I was reading some of these lines I could picture you chuckling yeah I mean the cream of the jest is on me (laughs) (laughs) and I think we've all got the ooble boobles sometimes (laughs) (laughs) I don't actually know what it means I just wrote down ooble boobles (laughs) yeah such joy so I was laughing 
quite a lot. Oh, no, I did write rum old fish down. Also, <laughs> simply, he's a bad hat. <laughs> <laughs> Such a bad hat. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's, quite, it's such a better way of talking than it is yeah, than to do it. Oh, I really yeah. like it uh, but away from the language I thought that it was very theatrical yes, so that pleased me the description of the theatre, the grease paint, the curtains, backstage, the props, the stalls, it was all there. She clearly just, she, she's clearly worked in the theatre, which I think we realised last time as well, didn't we? Well, more than that, she single-handedly revived New Zealand's public interest in live theatre. Single-handedly? Crikey. Oh yeah, that's what it says in the intro. Wow, mm. that's quite a big job. It is. Well done, Io. Well done. Yeah. And I also thought it was actually, you know, it was a very dramatic end as well. So the fact that they brought everyone on stage and recreated the final scene and they had the lights on and, oh. I also didn't feel like it was too, like, contrived, whereas I think sometimes this, this sort of style can... But mm. it didn't at all. And it didn't feel like it was sort of trying to em- emulate Poirot or anything like that. It was just no. so its own and mm. so dramatic. Did you see it coming, Gardner? No, I actually, I was so shocked when they found props just hanging. I know, that was not good. Props, I felt bad for because we never learned his, what his name was, did we? <laughs> just continued well... to be props. The whole time. I think we did, but then everyone just kept referring to him as his props. So that I loved. And I'm a fan of Inspector Allen. Oh, his style. Love it. Yeah. But a lot of the time, he just sort of, he really messed around with Nigel Bathgate. Yeah. And at one point, sort of suggested that Nigel was the murderer, just for laughs. Just to mess with him. Yeah, he does a lot of just bantering around, doesn't he? Yeah, he just did it as a, to use a line from the book, as a merry jape. <laughs> uh, and I also liked that, when they go to the theatre at the beginning he's like oh I'm famous as anything and there's another point where he says something like oh that character must be a police officer because they have excellent taste in coats <laughs> I also love there's a little a little similarity a little parallels with the other one that we read I can't remember which one um, opening where- night Mm, not no not a Nio. No. An- another oh. podcast one where um they have a quick liqueur after lunch and then oh, off, yes, they, they, off they go <laughs> yeah yeah it just seems to be having such a great time yeah yeah so what did you think I think well, you started to touch on your thoughts but si- similar vibes I'd say so I'll, I'll talk you through some of my quotes I wrote down <laughs> a few they were talking about Kramer Barclay Crammer, and they say yeah, he so was one just of the actors. one of the actors. Yeah, he was just sufficiently well known for people to say, "Who is that man?" When he walked on the stage, and not quite distinctive enough for them to bother to look him up in the program. <laughs> <laughs> so damning. 
But actually, so I thought probably, it was a, a fab description. Yeah, and probably quite true, actually. Yeah. I thought in some ways they were being a callous old pig in that description. <laughs> Alan, you, beh- you bore me and you behave oddly, rather like an ass, <laughs> which I might use. <laughs> they also refer to Alan as the big noise, which felt a bit like... Before we go, before we go, I better let the big noise know about this. They're talking about Alan. <laughs> Shall I? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that just reminded me of a bit where he's really dramatic, and when he has that conversation with uh, Stephanie Vaughan, she says something like, "Who's there?" And he just says from the darkness, "The law." <laughs> the law. <laughs> it would be such a great film. I would watch it. It would be an excellent film. And then lastly, I think one of my favourites. Well, push off, you couple of boobies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did see that. It's towards the end. So, yeah, I'd say overall that the language made up for any plot discrepancies. I don't think there were really any plot discrepancies. But I was, it was there quite was a bit confusing, I thought. Yeah, and, like, there's a bit in the middle where, like, they're sort of talking about who's in what room and who's on stage with the blackout. And I was a bit... I did get a bit lost, but not, you know, not enough to be that bothered, really. You know what it really needed? It could have done with a diagram. <laughs> could have done a, with visual a visual aid. So true. To, to try and just get a sense of where everyone was in that yeah. final scene. Because there were a lot of people. Although one thing I did think she did very well was that there were so many characters, but I didn't think, I didn't know who they were. She kind of made it was very well held together um, Mm. in terms of who they were and how they interacted. I would say I wasn't enamoured by the female characters. They were pretty limp. Yeah, I actually initially thought that Stephanie was going to be excellent. Yeah. And I thought she was going to turn out to be this evil mastermind with her three-cornered smile. But sort of fizzled out Fizzle. her storyline really which was a shame and then alan's just like i love you oh it doesn't say i love you but so oh, yeah, yeah. You, i fancy you it's just a bit bit lame bit limp bit limp bit soppy it felt it felt um a lot more jolly than the last night of marsh we read which i can't remember what it was called it was called opening night, opening night. and that was definitely darker wasn't it and that was a young woman who had come to London from New Zealand theatre. I think we raced it quite well for the theatre vibes. Well, I know this is is unprecedented, but I actually have a little blue book here. Whoops, I can tell you. Opening night, we gave seven. We gave seven? We each gave seven, sorry, oh, so total of 14, yeah. We said, beautiful characterization and use of theatre setting. Murder almost a sideline. So I suppose that was the difference on this one. The murder was very much... Front and centre, as they would yeah, say. Yeah, front theater. and centre in the theatre. So did you work it out? Were you surprised? What did you think? I am saddened to say that I didn't ever suspect anyone else, which was... Oh. Good in some ways, because it meant that I felt quite vindicated at the end of the book, but also a bit sad in others, because I didn't, I didn't feel I was led astray. Uh, but only really because 
I don't know. I just felt like it could, it just couldn't be anybody else. And it would be such a great alibi to be the person who did the shooting, but didn't, but, mm. but like, but everybody would think it couldn't possibly have been you. So yeah, I did, unfortunately, but it didn't feel as victorious as other times when you're like, oh, I've really worked it out. Yeah. No, I think I was, I was quite duped. I thought that it was maybe going to be Nigel. Nige. Nige. Yeah, there is that bit at the end where it's implied it could be him because uh, Alan gives him the little notes that says the name of the murderer and then he, Nigel says, no motive though. And he's like, there is, there's plenty of motive. And it implies that, that it could be Nigel then. I see. I mean, I never suspected, this is just so I can say this brilliant name, Sniffy Qualls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why did he get referenced? He was in it a few times, wasn't he? I can't remember. I think he was just something loosely based. Something, something to the do theater. with the, dr- the drugs, I thought, the whole drug storyline. Yeah, yeah. So the drugs, the drug storyline was quite quite surprising like a heroin addict storyline yeah golden age no and and for that to be quite sort of played down really it's sort of not really it seemed seemed to be that big a deal yeah they didn't he didn't seem overly fussed that his friend had been taking drugs which way round was it so it was that gardner had taken the drugs or was it after they'd taken the drugs? I think both of them, both of them had been taking drugs at university at Cambridge, that den of, <laughs> of iniquity. Hot, hotbed of drugs. <laughs> but it was Gardner who was the addict and right. not Arthur. And actually Gardner who had been blackmailing. Oh, okay, yeah. Yes, and that's how Arthur that's got why. the money. Yeah. It was very enjoyable. It was quite I light, also, wasn't it? Yeah, and I liked how uh, Inspector Allen was just so disparaging of Nigel, because Nigel was a journalist rather than detective. And at one point he just said, all amateurs are tiresome. <laughs> These amateur sleeves, what are they like? And actually, <laughs> I did really like that he allows Nigel to just join him for the entire investigation who is he's ultimately a, a journalist looking to get a good story and he's like yeah come along yeah but there are, there are quite a lot of caveats because poor old nigel has to like <laughs> sit and do all of the shorthand true it's a, it is a bit of, of a win as well. yeah and has to do all of the <laughs> typing so i like how inspector uh, inspector Allen never does any of the sort of the the work he delegated yeah. absolutely everything. Fingerprints, yeah, he's not doing it. Typing, he's not doing it. Searching, yeah, no, he'll, he'll get Inspector Fox to do that. He brings in his men, doesn't he? There's Inspector Fox. Is it Melville? Or is he one of the other characters? I think he might be an actor, yeah. An actor. There was, there was a couple. There was the Fox and someone else. What um, mm. was, that, was it Inspector Allen that was in Opening Night? Yes, it was. It was. So yeah. there are others with him in it. Yeah, I think there's there's 20. I'm not sure if they've 20. all got Inspector Allen in, but I think they might do. Hmm. I, I feel more that I would read another one of that series after this one than opening night. 
Mm. I think just because it was so so light hearted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I very much enjoyed it. I it was also the first book um, that I have read on my Kindle that I've borrowed from the library. Uh, first one. Yeah. So we should say to listeners, Maddie and I are very much fans of the library. When your local library reopens, make sure you go to the library and borrow a book because if libraries aren't used, then they will get closed. So even if you are lucky enough to be able to afford to buy your own books, going and borrowing a book from your local library is a way to support that service and keep it open for people who who might not be able to buy to buy books themselves and yeah and maddie's discovered that you can get ebooks from your library i feel, I feel delighted that it was in there it was actually part of the three parts three parter Ooh. yeah so i might i might read the other two before i give it back in a, in a week or so I haven't really got anything else to say about it. I mean, it did. It did make me think. Oh, the theatre, <clears throat> the theatre! But we'll be back, and when we go and see the mousetrap together, we might also want to go to an eating house before or after. <laughs> I think we will. Just another phrase. <laughs> it was very um, nostalgic, wasn't it? it? Had very nostalgic vibes, much like when we read. Um, Murder Underground, very nostalgic for the tube. This was good for the theatre. Maybe that maybe we should be thinking about selections that will remind us of the life that was. No, but we're gonna we're gonna get back to the life that okay, was. Okay, fine. Soon. Get excited about the life that we're going back into soon. Yeah. Yeah. Whip, whip. Okay. What should we score? Always on three. One, two, three. It's two eights. Uh, eight and eight. Sixteen. Eight. <laughs> I've, I think I've missed my calling as a bingo caller. What should our one line be? Oh, uh, theatrical. Theatrical. What about theatrical um. jaunt? I was thinking John, but have we used it too much no, lately? I can't no? see it on any of the pages here. Yeah, I want to be like, you know, hijinks, but not. Like... Oh, what about, this was a phrase that they used, with highfalutin. Highfalutin inspector. <laughs> I don't actually know what that I think means. it means kind of, you know. Oh, I like it anyway. You're great. You're highfalutin. Ah. Highfalutin inspector. And denouement. At a denouement. And dramatic. Yeah. Dramatic denouement. Wow. So, what can we learn for your case investigation Mm. from Enter a Murderer? I've got two things. Two. Two. Number one, maybe you should create a dossier like Nigel. It's just like a folder with all the bits and bobs that he comes across. I can definitely create a dossier. Right. Be more like Nige. Well, I don't know if you want to be... I think you don't want to be more like Nige because he was a bit whiny at points, wasn't he? It's like, oh, I want to be involved in the investigation, but I don't want to have to do any shorthand. Uh." 
like that. So don't be more like Nige. Oh, that is so. I think the least sympathetic I've ever heard you be. <laughs> Just blah 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 with Nige. Yeah, he wasn't like that all the time, but he was sometimes. Don't you think he was a bit whiny? Um. I just didn't really no I yeah he was a bit he was a bit oh, neutral okay, for me okay. okay and number two is actually one that we've had already but I do think we need to do a reconstruction definitely of season one's case the unsolved case of the missing salmon so that we can go to the Brunel Museum you and I and, and, the, and pub. the pub the Mayflower yeah. And then maybe for this case. I mean it'd be fun if you if we could do like if we could actually stage a full denouement and do it on the on the stage. <laughs> but for that we would have had to have discovered the I was about to say the killer, but obviously it's not a killer. We would have had to have discovered whoever took it. Uh, that implies you don't think we will. We might. Who who knows? <laughs> who knows? I wonder if there's any other good tips from the book. I don't know. I think I feel like there's something to learn from Alan's approach, his general demeanour. He's you know he's not he's not taking everything too seriously, which I yeah. appreciate. Yeah, you've got to have a little bit of go and get your um your drink. Go and have a little glass of liqueur. Have a liqueur. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I he's he's my kind of detective. Is Alan? He's the sort of the anti. I don't know what very serious ones have we got. He's the anti Chief Inspector Jap. Yeah, he is. He's quite serious. I also like. I did like how how Alan just sort of casually threw in Shakespeare lines every now and again. That reminded me actually when he did that. That reminded me of. Um, Chief Inspector Nightingale from The Christmas Egg. Oh, you love that one, I don't do. you? I do! back. Today we are crowning another Queen of Crime and it is Dame Nio Marsh, the author of 32 classic whodunits which were published between 1934 and 1982. She was also a theatre director and was from New Zealand. She was born on 23rd of April 1895 in Christchurch, New Zealand and died on the 18th of February 1982. Three reasons why Nio Marsh is going to be one of our queens of crime. Number one, her description of the atmosphere of the theatre. She brings the theatre so vividly to life in many of her murder mystery novels. Her passion for the stage really shines through and we've particularly appreciated this during lockdown when we haven't been able to go to the theatre and see plays ourselves. Number two, her character-led approach. So even when she has a large cast of potential suspects, all of them are distinguishable as we talked about today in our discussion of Enter a Murderer. This fits 
with Nio Marsh's own description of her approach, where she said, I invariably start with people, with two or three or more people about whom I feel I would like to write. And that's really reflected in her novels. The third reason is Nio Marsh's lightness of touch. So in many of her novels, the journey and the detecting holds as much joy as the solution or the reveal. Top three characters. Number one, Inspector Roderick Allen, who works for the Met Detectives in London. He features in all of Nio Marsh's novels. We particularly like his banter and random inclusion of literary lines. Number two, Martin Tarn in Opening Night, which was a book that we read before the podcast. Martin Tan is a young woman who leaves New Zealand to pursue a career on stage in London, and she's tenacious and resilient. Number three is Ella Hamilton, who is also a character in Opening Night. She is the glamorous leading lady, and it's just such a wonderful, accurate portrayal of an adored actress. Top three reads for Nio Marsh. Number one, Enter a Murderer, which is her second novel published in 1935, which we talked about in today's episode. Number two, Opening Night, which was her 16th novel that was published in 1951. We read it pre-podcast and it was our first introduction to Nio Marsh. Thirdly is the 12th novel by Naomi Marsh, Colour Scheme, which was published in 1943. We haven't read this one yet, but I think that we definitely will in the future. Colour Scheme is set in New Zealand and it includes Maori people among its cast of characters, which was unusual for novels of the British mystery genre. So the novel also subverts the mystery genre by having elements of spy fiction and a veiled critique of the British Empire. Awards and achievements for Nio Marsh. She is known as one of history's queen of crimes, along with Agatha Christie, Marjorie Allingham and Dorothy L. Sayers. So they were female writers who dominated the golden age of crime writing in the 1920s and 1930s. And she actually lived the longest of all the uh, queens of crime. Away from murder mystery, she actually single-handedly revived New Zealand's public interest in live theatre, and it was for this work that she received what she referred to as her Day Marie in 1966. Other awards and honours for Nio Marsh included, included in 1978 the Grand Master Award for Lifetime Achievement as a Detective Novelist, which is from the Mystery Writers of America. In 1989, she was honoured with a stamp by New Zealand Post. In 1974, she was inducted into the Detection Club, but she wasn't actually a member when it was in its heyday. And there is also the Nio Marsh Award, which is awarded annually for the best New Zealand mystery, crime and thriller fiction writing. Incredibly, she is still New Zealand's best-selling author today. And in 1949, she experienced something very rare for a writer of any kind when one million copies of her books were issued into the international market in the same year. So it meant there were 100,000 copies each of 10 different novels. In her own words, you may be able to write a novel, you may not. You will never know until you have worked very hard indeed and written at least part of it. 
You will never really know until you have written the whole of it and submitted it for publication. AOB. Her first name, Nio, is a Maori word which can mean a tree, a bug that lives on a tree, a light on the water, or simply clever. Away from mystery writing, Nio Marsh also studied painting and had much of her artwork displayed in Christchurch. She also toured New Zealand as an actress and was also an actor manager as well and she divided much of her time between living in New Zealand and the United Kingdom. Nio Marsh was a very private person, she never married and had no children. She did enjoy a number of close relationships with women including her lifelong friend Sylvia Fox. They were buried together. Nio Marsh denied being a lesbian but according to her biographer Joanne Drayton Nio Marsh wanted the freedom of being who she was in a world especially in New Zealand that was still very conformist so there we have it Nio Marsh we welcome in to our queens of crime thank you for joining us for today's episode of the unsolved case of the missing salmon we talked about Enter a Murderer by Nio Marsh, reminisced about the theatre and started thinking about how we might be able to take murder mystery tips into the real world as we continue to investigate the case and crowned another queen of crime. As always, we'd love you to share the unsolved case of the missing salmon with a friend or a me to use Poirot parlance. It's easy to do. On Spotify, click the box with the app with arrow and on apple the three dots to the right of the episode if you are listening to the podcast on apple then we'd love it if you could give us a quick rating and maybe even a short review so that more people can find out about the show if you send us a photo of your share or indeed your rating then we'll enter you in a prize draw to win Poirot theme tea Follow us on Instagram at Missing Salmon Case to be the first to know about new episodes, see photos related to the case, what's on our bookshelf, and importantly, photos of our feline sidekicks, Hastings and Hercule. It's also where you can chat to us about all things mystery. Next episode, we will be discussing The Division Bell Mystery by Ellen Wilkinson, which is available from hive.co.uk if you'd like to support your local independent bookseller. Until then, Miss Ami, keep sleuthing! This podcast is created, produced and edited by Maddie Berry and Hannah Knight. Our music is sourced from Melody Loops by Jeff Harvey.